0: Welcome to Someday Is Now, a podcast for Asian-American women on leadership and culture. I'm your host, Vivian Mabuni. This podcast has been created to carve out a space for Asian-American women to explore and validate living in both Eastern and Western worlds. Each week we will celebrate our heritage and highlight Asian-American history. My guests and I will explore our various Asian-American journeys, both the parts that we are proud of and the parts that have brought pain. We'll discuss practical tips on leadership and our favorite comfort foods, of course. This is a space and place to bring words and understanding to our shared experience living biculturally. I am so glad you're listening and look forward to your feedback. Enjoy the show. That you're here with us again this week. Um, It's been such a blast to hear your feedback and to read your reviews. Thank you so much for subscribing and sharing the podcast with your friends. We've just had um, just so much joy in knowing that the podcast is providing a space for Asian American women to really feel validated. We keep hearing that back over and over. And for the non-Asians, we've heard great feedback on how there's just been a lot of ahas and lessons learned about Asian American culture and identity and history. So um, thank you for supporting the podcast in so many different ways. Um, It's just been a blast. We've just had a great time. This week's guest, I'm so excited to introduce you to, uh, the amazing Kathy Kong. She is the author of Raise Your Voice, which is the book that we are highlighting for the giveaway this week. So I'm hoping that you are um, following her and following Some Days Now podcast on Instagram and um we have her book, my book, and the amazing original art piece by Kenny Wong as part of our giveaway this week. So um, this has been so great because as you've been tagging your friends, it's really helped more and more people find out about the podcast and u- utilizing social media in a way that's really Getting the word out, so thank you so much. Um, It's just we're so grateful. Um, Kathy is uh, she has a journalism background, and uh, she's been a friend of mine. We met back in 2012, and um, we have stayed connected here and there, and have been able to to cheer each other on as we've published books and um, have been in different spaces. Um, what I admire about Kathy is she um, can sniff out injustice. I think she is has such an amazing ability to articulate and cut right through the heart of the matter. And she does so with precision and uh, with really well-documented facts. And she uh, displays a tremendous amount of courage in speaking out uh, against injustice and so um, her book is all about that and I hope you really take the time to read her words and her story and the stories that she shares in her book this week for did you know um, I wanted to share a little bit about uh, Korean American this is actually true of Japanese American and Chinese American but specifically Korean Americans Um, living in California in the early 1900s. There was a lot of discrimination that took place against Korean Americans uh, that we don't learn about in our history books. Uh, Koreans were uh, barred from living in certain neighborhoods. Um, The local movie theaters were segregated back then. Um, Koreans were uh, barred from becoming naturalized U.S. citizens. Even those born here in the U.S. were not allowed to become citizens. And um, the alien land laws were passed in California, which prohibited Koreans for, from being able to own or lease land. So many of the Koreans that initially came over to the California Uh, worked in agriculture, and so their hopes were to be able to own their own land or lease their own land, um, and this law made it impossible for them to do so, and that actually sent many Koreans um, out of California at the time. Um, But that's part of our history, and um, California history and injustice and discrimination based on race. And that's this week's Did You Know? back to Some Days Now. I am so excited to introduce to you my next guest, Kathy Kong. She is an incredible woman, a leader, an author, a speaker, a yoga instructor, a uh, mother of three and just a phenomenal uh, voice in this time. And I'm just so honored to have you on the podcast. Kathy, welcome. Thank you. It's great to see, well, people will be hearing us but it's fun to be able to see you. Yes. Um, here in in August. So when when we actually air this podcast it could be the fall I don't know but right now it's very warm for both of us.
1: Yes it is. A lovely 89 degrees I think. Yeah. Ooh boy. We'll miss that one day. <laughs> yeah, we will. That's why I was outside. I was like, "Oh, well one day it's going to be like 20 below." So
0: it's good to be outside. That's right. That's right. Well, for our listeners, tell, let me share a little bit how we know each other. Okay. So I think we met.
1: I can, I'm so bad with like years because as a mom, everything kind of blurs from like pregnancy to like when you launch your last one. So I don't remember what year it was, but we were at the Asian American Christian Women's Leadership Conference, and there was only one. Mm-hmm. And it was out in California, and I believe that's when we met for yes. the first time, and were introduced to each other, and then have been in touch virtually since then. Because I'm trying to think if we've actually seen each other. We had dinner in Chicago. Oh, that's right. Yes, yes. That one and after that, your book released was that like last year? Last that must August. have been just last year. Yeah, mm-hmm. we ate a lot. <laughs> yes, we remember did. that we're very good at that. <laughs> we ate well. So, so yeah, it's been a few years since you know in that gap that we haven't been able to see each other in person. But that's how we know each other and have stayed in touch. Thank God for the internet.
0: I know. I'm serious. I think one thing I remember about that. So I do remember it's 2012. Oh gosh, so I remember. Good. I remember it was so significant to have. Asian American women, leaders, all gathered together from various, in that time, you know, various campus ministries. Right. Um, It was really so refreshing. I think I met a bunch of your coworkers and just put names and faces together because I feel like in our Asian circle, it's really like two degrees of separation. Yes. So people know people who know people, but... Yeah. So it's just always fun to put names. Yeah. yeah, And for me too, it was
1: great just because uh, there were women that I knew in a work context Mm -hmm. uh, with whom I'd actually never just spent time hanging out. Mm. And that was one of those times where like in the after hours, we'd grab a bite to eat and I'd realize, you know, I've probably been at five meetings in the last 10 years with this person, but I've actually never just hung out and laughed. Right. So it was so good for me to be in that space and then feel like, oh, we're,
0: we're normal. It's <laughs> so good. Yes, yes, it's true. I think, yeah. And I think it's what's so amazing to me over and over is how much... Even though you're like in Chicago and have a very different upbringing in some regards, there's so Mm -hmm. many connection points, and I think that that's the beauty. Like Asian American is so much broader than uh, what I would probably call the big three, like Japanese, Chinese, Korean. Yes, so much more. However, there are threads of culture that connect us. There's just understanding of our stories in a way that is different when we're in an all Asian context. Oh yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, speaking of that, I would love for you to share with our, um, listeners, some of your ethnic journey, like tell us about your, your heritage, your background. Yeah. So
1: I was actually born in Seoul, South Korea, and came to the U.S. when I was eight months old with my mom and dad who, uh, left, um, South Korea, as it was still considered a developing country and was still, you know, decades post-war, but still kind of recovering economically and politically. And um, we ended up in Chicago in part because there was some distant family here in Chicago who said, why are you thinking about heading out to Philly? You should stay here. We can find you a place and mm-hmm. connect you with people for a job and that kind of stuff. So um, one of the first photographs that exists of me and my family here in the U.S. is in front of a Korean immigrant church. And, uh, and so I always knew I was Korean Mm -hmm. and that it wasn't really a big thing until I moved out into the suburbs when I was in second grade. So up until that point, I was in the north side of uh, Chicago and I I knew that my friend Evangelia was Greek. I knew my friend Serge was Filipino. I knew my friend Vikram was Indian. And mm. when you entered into each of our homes, you would hear the language, you would smell the food. And that was normal. That was, mm. that was just normal. And then I moved out to the suburbs and that was not normal. <laughs> <laughs> it was just, It was, I I mean, I still remember what that felt like as a second grader. Mm. And um, the story is that we were the first family of color in the elementary school district. And from what I can remember, that totally makes sense. Mm. And walking in, meeting classmates, there was no one who was not white. Mm. But I didn't have a category for that because of growing up in the north side of the city, every family was an immigrant family. And so it wasn't until, you know, second grade elementary school where the teasing began and uh, the bullying began and the language around racialization mm-hmm. happened. And I I didn't, I, it was, I didn't get it. I really did was so very confused. I just knew that from then on, when I think about school, my stomach just goes into knots. The bullying, the physical, the threat of physical violence was there. Um, Bus rides were horrible. Uh, Walking home from school was terrifying. Um, All like I, I have a visceral reaction in my body when I think about those years, mm. and then there was home, which was so different, and then there was church. And at home, we were Korean, mm-hmm. and at church, I was Korean American because mm. that um, that gap started to grow as. I started to lose fluency in my language. Mm. So Korean was my first language. And uh, as I, you know, dove deeply and, you know, very, very good student lost my Korean. Mm. Um, That cultural gap grew between my parents and the elders in my church. So Even still, though, we were Korean. I mean, what we ate, what we drank, you know, there was never any water. It was always puricha. It was always barley tea. Mm -hmm. It was either hot or cold or, you know, (laughs) we never never used ice because the Mm -hmm. ice maker always smelled (laughs) of garlic. Of garlic because of the tea that we kept in the fridge. (laughs) All of those things. And, um, and I knew I was Korean and it wasn't really until college where that idea of a, of an Asian American identity started pushing me into mm-hmm. understanding, oh, there are others who are not Korean, but identify with a cultural, either upbringing or generationally, ethnicity, language that related to some of those experiences. And then, and it was wonderful because I had never had that outside of home, Yeah, really. Yeah. And, you know, there was church. I was part of a uh, church fellowship that was, you know, it was Pan-Asian. It was Asian American, but... It really wasn't until college where we, I was surrounded and intentionally put myself into a space where there were other college students who identified as Chinese American, which is different than Taiwanese American. What? Mm-hmm. I didn't, what? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Who were Japanese American and they could point to generation or they were Hawaiian with a mom or a dad who was... Chinese or Japanese or Korean, right? So, um, and then it wasn't until my first job out of college where I was introduced to the Hmong uh, Mm -hmm. because my first job in Green Bay, Wisconsin, where there was a large Hmong population. Yes. So that was my, that has been my ethnic identity journey as Mm -hmm. you grow up and you enter into different spaces and I've always been in the Midwest. And so it's always been a space where there aren't that many of us Mm -hmm. on a daily basis, Um, out in the suburbs, even in the city as what used to be a Koreatown really just kind of spread and moved out into different parts of the city or into the suburbs. Um, and so then meeting friends in college who had grown up in spaces like California. Nice. Blew me away. Cause they were like, <laughs> wow, there aren't a lot of us here. And I'm like, where did you grow up that there were a lot of us? Mm-hmm, and, mm-hmm. and to kind of talk about that journey has been wonderful.
0: Yeah. Well, I just, I, it is interesting because my husband is from Hawaii. Mm-hmm. So Hawaii, all Asian, you know, predominantly Asian. So the newscasters are Asian. Yes. The you know the leadership is Asian. So there's just a there's a very different feel about being in a place like Hawaii. Then there's Southern California. So you go to yes. Irvine, you go on the campus of UC Irvine, and you walk a long time before you see a non-Asian. I mean, right. it's just like Diamond Jamboree is, you know, just, it's just the promised land. There's a huge h there and it's all the Asian foods and all the boba and all the bakeries and everything. So it is a very, because I grew up in Colorado. So the same thing, I remember driving across the, the state line and, you know, I'm driving my little Nissan Sentra and literally out loud, I'm going, oh, wow, there's another Asian. <laughs> And just that the difference of what it's like for an Asian American to grow up, like the the lone Asian or yes. the of Asians versus the majority being Asian, and it's just a very different experience.
1: Oh so. yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And it and it is interesting because I continue on that journey uh, here in my midlife, married also to who, a man who's Korean American, but definitely grew up more. American than I did. Mm-hmm. So even that has been really interesting for us in our years of marriage, kind of figuring out like, oh, wait, you don't do that? Like, <laughs> What kind of Korean are you? <laughs> <laughs> and then, And then raising children in a predominantly white suburb, I think yeah. has been a huge, like reminding them, you're not white. You know, you're mm-hmm. not white right? Mm -hmm. You know, you're not white. That's why we gave you Korean names and you know the meanings of those names. And even though you can't write the name, you know how to pronounce the name. You know how you got the name, right? So all of those things, I think still, there's still this learning and figuring Mm -hmm. out what that means.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's what, I, I mean, that's what I'm excited about with this podcast is just even being able to hear from a number of different women from a number of different experiences And hopefully in that way, um, kind of give a a more holistic picture of the experience of navigating Eastern, Western, the values, the challenges, the um, the joys, the hardships. So with that, I will segue into the question. Um, When you think about your Korean American heritage, what are you proud of and what have been things that have brought pain? Sure, um, you know I'm. I'm very. I'm grateful
1: now. <laughs> I was not grateful when I was a child. I'm grateful uh, for the very um, diligent patience my parents had in forcing my sister and I to learn the language. Mm. And in part, even though we've lost quite a bit of it, I definitely understand a whole lot more than I can actually speak. Mm -hmm. that there is a lot lost when you don't understand the mother tongue because there's so much nuance in culture that's tied with language and food. And I know we'll talk about food, but in that language and how it's spoken and structured and all of that kind of stuff. So I'm really grateful for that. And I love that and have a deep appreciation for that because I recognize even though I'm not completely fluent I love that I can move pretty fluidly in culture I feel I am bilingual in that way Mm -hmm. and I'm bicultural that way Mm -hmm. and um and so the beauty of being both Korean and American is that uh I it it doesn't matter where I go um Earlier this year, I had the great privilege of traveling with my daughter, and we were in Paris and Iceland. There aren't a lot of, you know, there there are tourists in those spaces, but it never felt like we didn't belong because you could hear the languages and you mm. enjoy all sorts of the different culture and the food and 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 so I really have appreciated that, and I um, deeply appreciate and love. Uh, the resilience of the Korean people and the peninsula and the, the country. So I didn't learn a whole lot about Korean history in school. It was more through my parents and my grandmother and then doing some of my own study and understanding, um, around uh, Korea being colonized by the Chinese and the Japanese and in some ways now by the U S military mm-hmm. and all of those things where uh, there's, there's the, my, my Korean ancestors will cringe, but some of the mish, mishmash of our cultures. Mm-hmm. So there are words or, um, even language. My mm-hmm. parents know how to write Chinese characters and things like that because of that history. But also the uniqueness of having like, a, Koreans have their own alphabet. It's their own language. Mm-hmm. And and so there is that sense of like, even in the midst of being what I call the, sh- <laughs> this is horrible, the short man of Asia, <laughs> right? It's this like, We've been colonized by the other two mm-hmm. East Asian countries. Um, and that history is always messy and very painful. Mm-hmm. There's still that uniqueness of what it means to be Korean. And that that culture has uh, remained and then not frozen in time. So, mm-hmm. you know, I'm not a huge K-pop fan. Right. Right. But I'm always telling my kids, I never thought I would live to see the day that a Korean like Korean pop groups yes. would fill arenas here in the u s with crazed fans who are learning Korean. they don't know what it means, but they're <laughs> learning Korean, and they' right. just it blows my mind in a way um then i think i know my mom relates to because she went back to korea a few years ago and she came back and she just said i'm so proud of our people and our country it's not it's not the same country they left in mm. 1971 and it's not even the same country that we had revisited in the 80s mm. you know my mom was like it is modern it is even more modern in a lot of ways than the us and mm. uh and she just came away feeling so proud. Mm. And, you know, and then of course the flip side is that um, I think growing up here in the US, my understanding of Korean culture is frozen in time. That my parents brought back a Korean culture that was locked in the 60s and, mm. and, and hasn't changed in the same way it has in Korea. Wow. And so my understanding of Korean, Korean Korean-American culture is kind of locked in this, you know, post-war rebuilding time where, you know, some of the, the decision to come to the U.S. was their understanding of what were the limitations for raising a daughter. And things have not changed dramatically in the U.S., but they certainly have changed, you know. They've changed in Korea, but not, you know, it, it's so complicated. Mm-hmm. And for them, it, they're still kind of locked in this Koreanness of the 60s. Mm-hmm. And that doesn't exist anymore. And so the pain is um, because I've lost the language and because I've become more Korean American as opposed to Korean, um, and because a lot of the immigrant churches. Here in the Midwest, and I'm, I could probably make the argument anywhere, Korean-American churches anywhere that are led by Korean-American men, there is still that uh, stronghold of patriarchy. Mm-hmm. And, um, and, and it's, it's always kind of there, like mm-hmm. right under the surface. So I feel like I can't go back home. In a lot of ways. So um, I love my parents, but they also look at me like, oh my God, she's our American Korean daughter now, not Korean American. And mm. you know, I grew up in the church. And so I also feel like I can't go back to the Korean immigrant church. Right. One, because I can't speak the language. And two, I'm just I'm just so darn independent um, and... Outspoken and all Mm -hmm. of those things that don't Mm -hmm. fit that space. And still, we are still the perpetual foreigner here in the US, right? Mm -hmm. We're still, where are you from? I'm from the Chicago suburbs. No, no, where are you really from? No, really, I'm from the Chicago suburbs. (laughs) I really know no other home except maybe the north side of Chicago right? It's that Mm. conversation and it's that language, you know, it's come up recently here in the U S you know, go back to where you came from. And, and that feeling of, uh, even if I go back to where I came from, I don't fit there either. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I don't fit there either. And so I think that there's that uh, sense of, I don't know if it's pain It's definitely loss Mm -hmm. Um, and and there's this, there's a Korean word, (laughs) and uh, it's kind of this bittersweet, um, and then you just live with it. (laughs) There's nothing you can do. You just live with it. Yeah. That's part of it is realizing, oh, just like my parents can
0: never go back home, Mm -hmm. I'm not sure I have a home. Mm. Yeah. Wow. Yes. I feel like that is, there's so much, you know, it's so interesting as you're sharing, like as a Mm non-Korean, when I look at the landscape, I think BTS Yes. billboard top, you know, so it's like the, it's, it's the time for the Koreans to shine. So Sandra Oh, and one thing after another. So to me, and honestly, most of the, the circles that I run in as authors and speakers. And mm-hmm. I just know so many more Korean Americans yes. that are killing it yeah. than any other Asian group. You know, yes. so, it's so fascinating to hear that they I mean, and, and it, it's connecting with me too, that that resilience part is what the um, the ability to stay through, even though it gets hard, Mm-hmm. it's this character and that strength that comes out of that's what I I'm seeing that out yeah the, the out how it, out, it plays out yes I'm only seeing it without understanding the context and yes the background, if yes. that makes sense and oh, I, it makes sense yeah and I think of that that the uh, what you're describing with you know how Asian women are viewed you know as you know quiet subservient Uh, But when I think of Korean women, I just think of strength and voice and, you know, spicy. And I just, of all the Asians, they're the most expressive. They pray, they sing, they dance. I mean, it's just, so it's just, it's a, it's a real, like, for me, listening to you share and then realizing, wow, there's, there is a whole backdrop in a, and a story that even brings, the culture to really shine, but it comes yes. out of that hardship too. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I really you sharing that—that's really significant. And I think that there is something to be said about understanding history, and oh, how so much of it is lost. And right. Yeah. Right. I would love. I mean, in your own study and even what your parents shared, is there a part of history that you were just completely surprised by that you had no idea about for free history? Yeah. Well,
1: you know, I didn't grow up. In the US school system, really learning anything that significant around Asia in general. Um, You know, and then there was the. Right? And then, so there was the Korean War back when I was in high school wasn't even referred to as a war. Um, And so it was the Korean conflict. And right? And so it wasn't even a war. And the bits and pieces I had heard were really family stories around my dad and um, how, you know, his family at one point was separated, you know, the boys were all together and um, my grandmother was somewhere else in the country and this concern of whether or not if the conflict ended, would they all be on the same side of the border, right? So all of those types of things, but they also don't like to talk about it that much. Mm -hmm, So it's mm -hmm. a give and take. And my grandmother also never really wanted to talk about that. Um, But what I had learned was that uh, because she had lived during the Japanese occupation um, and I had only learned about this because when I went to college, her one (laughs) request was that i not, if I was going to take another language, that it not be Japanese. Wow. And I was like, Wow! what is that about? I was really very confused. And then I ended up dating um, a Korean American man, a young man who was learning Japanese. And my grandmother was just so, she was not happy about that. And Mm -hmm. um, she couldn't understand why he would learn Japanese if he didn't know how to speak his own language. Mm. And for Korean Americans who are U.S. born, right, they their language is English. But mm. in my grandmother's view, it's no. Your language should be Korean. So, um, so what I you know, things that I learned were the family stories around the Korean War and what my my particularly my father's family lost during the war. So they lost their childhood home and. My dad would talk about going back to where their home once stood and he was trying, the story he's told the grandchildren so many times, he tried to figure out where his bedroom was in all of those ashes so he could find his favorite toy. And we were like, your favorite toy? And he, would, he said, his favorite toy was a magnet. Mm. And my kids were like, what? a magnet. <laughs> that is not a toy. That's what we use to hold up papers on the refrigerator, right? That's not a toy. So I think it those were the little lessons that I learned over time to help me understand why my parents were the way they were. Mm-hmm. Because quite honestly, half the time I was like, why is my family so weird?
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
1: Why... Why do, like, we were just talking about this last night with our friends too. Our home, the childhood home I grew up in, had air conditioning. We had central air. Now, did they ever use the central air? <laughs> Very rarely did we yes. ever use the central air. Or right?
0: the dishwasher. Was or the like
1: dishwasher. A- it was <laughs> to use for storage. Right. For yeah. Other things. It was <laughs> never used to actually wash and you know how monumental it was for my parents to buy a washing machine Mm -hmm. as opposed to hand washing all of their clothes and the wonder that they had over every single little gadget that we would get for our children when we when our babies when our kids were babies they were like oh my god what like we have to put them in a in a car seat, (laughs) you know, like all sorts of, or even um, disposable diapers Mm, mm. and the convenience and the waste of that. Mm. I think I've learned so much about the kind of um, uh, poverty that my parents grew up in Mm. and that they lived in a mentality of scarcity Mm-hmm. Uh, and scarcity so that they could save what they could for their kids. Right. I just, I couldn't understand it. I just thought it was so weird. Mm-hmm. Who doesn't turn on their air conditioning? Who yeah. doesn't turn on their heat? That was the other thing. It was always <laughs> so cold in the winter and so hot in
0: the summer. <laughs> it's, I had an aunt who bought a new car. They were able to mm-hmm. buy a new car. But Mm she left the plastic manufacturing plastic over the headrest and used like paper bags on the floor of the car, and it was like, why? I don't understand. Yes, Yes. Mm -hmm. and 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 so those I feel like are the
1: I'll never read about that in a history book that Mm -hmm. helped me understand kind of real life. Mm-hmm. Um, for us as an immigrant family, and helps me translate my parents for my children, right? Because they don't live that way. Mm-hmm. I use the air conditioner. I mean, maybe not as cold as some of my non-Asian American friends. I don't know. <laughs> that was pretty well established at dinner that's the other true night. In
0: Korean culture, where you're not supposed to blow a fan on you. Yes, just, you'll like, die. Yes, that's a Chinese thing too. Yeah. But- you never yes. expose your midsection no, yes. or your That's neck. Right. You know. it's, there's you always like a towel fan
1: or a blanket. <laughs> you always cover the middle to the neck. Yes. You yes. don't have a fan because you'll die. You'll suffocate yes. or something Seriously. like that. And I'm like, yes. no, that doesn't, it's not real. Actually, <laughs> Actually it's not real.
0: <laughs> <laughs> True story. Oh, I love it. I love it. Well, I would love for you to share. What is one of your favorite comfort foods? So my go-to
1: comfort food is always sundubu jjigae, which is the tofu stew. <gasps> and it's, mm. it can be as spicy as you want. So I like mine really spicy with tofu and mm. whatever protein, whatever other protein you want. So I tend to like, you know, whatever I have in the fridge. So whatever, mm. like, is it pork belly or spam and egg? Um, usually not chicken. Sausage, you know, throw it all in there. Green onions. Um, that is my. That's my comfort food, and I'll eat it in the summer. It doesn't matter. <clears throat> it's like a hundred degrees outside. If I'm like hmm, feeling a little blue, that yeah. that's what I will make.
0: Oh, oh, my mouth is watering. That sounds so <laughs> good right now. That is so good. All right, so Kathy, you have uh, worked in journalism. You yes. have been part of a nonprofit working with college students. You've worked on varying levels of leadership in that organization. You, um, are an author. I mean, you've done so many things and there's still so much more ahead, but I would love for you to share with our listeners, um, a leadership lesson or a principle that you kind of order your life by or have found to be helpful for you. Um, something along those lines.
1: Yes. So, uh, I am a voracious reader, and in part because uh, one, that was just a wonderful escape growing up Mm. uh, to hide in the corner and not have to engage with anyone was a great way. You know, if you stick your nose in a book, no one's going to bother you. And uh, it was a way of escaping, it was a way of learning, Mm -hmm. and it was a way of imagining a different way Mm. and learning how to do things differently or how people might speak or how they might live or dress. So I love fiction, nonfiction, you name it. I love to read it. And as a leader, I have found that that is one of the easiest ways to still learn. Mm. Uh, I'm not a conference attendee person, I actually, I don't know how people do that. Like, Oh, are you going to this conference? I'm like, how do you pay for all that? Um, (laughs) and how do you find the time? And I don't want to get on a plane and all that kind of stuff. So I find that, um, and I've been taught by other leaders, you know, that phrase leaders are readers. Mm. And so what you don't know and you can't always learn, um, in proximity, you might not have people you can necessarily learn from in the moment. You can always read something Mm -hmm. or listen to a book. Mm. Um, So I think that that is the accessibility that I love around that. And I've learned that over time through failure of things that I thought I knew. Then what are the ways in which I can learn what I thought I knew and didn't or unlearn something which is also you know a great way to do through reading
0: that's so good that is a great word and I think there there there's a whole world mm-hmm. and today nowadays with podcasts and mm-hmm. yes audiobooks you know people it's there's just a lot of creative ways to get input
1: oh yeah absolutely I think about so, I hear back from a lot of folks that I used to work with when they were students. You know they are they are raising children in the internet age, and they'll talk about how they can stream things while they are nursing or watch things <laughs> or listen things, listen to th- podcasts while they are up in the wee hours. and i'm like, yeah that that didn't exist." Mm-hmm um it it was a little more complicated to listen to audiobooks because they were either physically on a cassette or a cd <laughs>
0: <laughs> totally.
1: so you had to be tethered to something you couldn't like pace with your baby but yes but i think about that and i think oh I can forgive myself for not reading a whole ton during those heavy lifting uh, baby years. But yeah, it's so easy. There's so much out there now.
0: Mm, That's so great. Well, perhaps in our show notes, you could maybe share a couple of your favorite leadership books or what you would recommend. That is fantastic. Well, as a mother of three, so a daughter and two sons, is that correct? Correct. Um, What are some values... Uh, some parts of your heritage that you hope to be able to pass on to this next generation in hopes that they would pass on to the following generation? Mm -hmm. Ooh.
1: Um, Other than the fact that I've drilled into their wonderful heads since they were little, that they're not white. (laughs) (laughs) Um, You know, and and we laugh about it, but like at, at some level it was this Because I, that was a real concern that Mm. growing up in a very white suburb, that they would either, they would be ashamed of who they Mm. are or embarrassed about who they are. Uh, So the the flip side of that is so that they could be comfortable in their own skin and find beauty in that and strength in that. And and I'll be honest, I felt a little more prepared for that with my daughter than I was with my sons mm. because I don't know what it's like to walk in the skin and body of an Asian American man. And I really, you know, quite frankly, because there's still a lot of that patriarchy in the Korean American, Asian American space, I hadn't really thought around things like body image Mm. or our sons, um, which is a very real thing. I just, Mm. you know, and I also didn't grow up with brothers. So there was that. And so that has been a part of a real conversation that we have over the years throughout their different stages of development mm-hmm. is um, you, you are amazing. Be comfortable in who you are and how you look and, um, and hear the values that are different than the U S American white values. Yes, you mm-hmm. can be independent, but you are always a part of the family. Mm-hmm. And, That can be difficult and challenging and that might drive you up the wall. But it also means that at the drop of a hat, your whole family will be there for Mm. you Mm. in ways that, you know, it doesn't matter that our daughter is 23. It doesn't matter that she's an adult. If she ever needed anything, we all would drop everything. Her grandparents would drop everything. It it wouldn't be a well. She's independent and she's a grown up and she's you know legally an adult and all of that. No. Um, and then I one of the things that we talk about often is um, the story, the stories behind their names and how uh, Korean families pass on names and who picks the names and what they mean and why their paternal grandfather chose those names Mm. and why we chose those names and then chose to have both my last name and my husband's last name in part because again generationally and because of the patriarchy these names get they'll get lost you know our family line would die with my dad on my side right so all of those things Mm. we want them to Hold on to and cherish. <laughs> um, they don't speak the Korean language, but they have words and they understand the meaning of those words and why it was important that the boys called their older sister Nuna, mm. because that is the respectful term for an older sister by a younger brother. Right. And again, it's complicated because they are growing up in a time where they have friends who are gay, mm-hmm. lesbian, a student who's trans at the high school, right? So, so language that's tied to gender gets very complicated. Sure, yes. <laughs> right? And yet I tell them this is also something that is painful but also beautiful,
0: Mm. And
1: so we can talk about the pain, but let's also talk about the beauty around respect and um, a respect that's given to you because you're family. Mm. And that's in language and in culture. We don't have that in the English language. Right, right. There's nothing to establish that in the family setting. Mm
0: -hmm, Everyone mm -hmm.
1: is equal. All siblings are equal. Right, right. (laughs) Totally. Totally. And so I I tell them like, yeah, that comes with responsibility and guilt tripping and all of that kind of stuff, but it's also a beautiful thing to always have the respect of your siblings. Mm -hmm. Um, So those are the types of things that I hope and want that they will carry along with, you know, different family traditions, cultural traditions. So New New Year's, we always go, um, my parents are, um, still alive and healthy. And so we go to their home on New Year's Day and we have the traditional rice cake soup, the takuk, which symbolizes another year of um, health and prosperity. Mm-hmm. And then we bow. We bow to my parents' And then the kids bow to my parents and to us, and we hand them envelopes of cash. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we tell them, we want you to do this. We want you to keep doing this. This is something that we would love for you to pass on. When you get married and you have children, um, it's something very unique to our culture. And you know, it's that envelope. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the envelope always has awesome. cash, Just not me. a card. It's cash. Crispy cash. Crispy, Crispy cash. Yes. 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 Always oh. go to the bank and get the nice new bills. Although we're really bad about that. Um, <laughs> and so, you know, they love it because there's Christmas and then we do New Year's and the Western tradition of New Year's Day. So they get Christmas and New Year's, and they're like, this is awesome. We love being Korean American. (laughs) Because we get the thing, whatever we want, and then we get cash. Cash. But I tell them, you know, your dad and I did not have to give money until you guys were born. (laughs) (laughs) We got money, but now that you're born, we have to give money. We want you to continue that. We want you to have that as part of
0: your tradition. Yes. I love that that's so intentional Mm -hmm. in order to continue because, you know, for centuries, you know, our forefathers and Mm -hmm. foremothers, that was, those were just understood. They were just given. Yes. Yes. So living here where there's such a wide range of immigration years, immigration stories, generations, you know, the things that we choose to hold on to, the things we discard, you know, um, and the, just the practicality, you know, right. how many of our friends had to attend Chinese school, Korean school, yes. read, yeah. you know, read the magazines hidden because they just, you know, loathed having to be in school again. And yet right. the the hope that the parents have that the kids right. be able to continue to appreciate and, um, and even some that's lost in language, mm-hmm. like I have a cousin and. Chinese cousin who married uh, Mexican. Mm-hmm. And so four kids. And so for all of their first years of life, mm-hmm. my cousin only spoke in Chinese. And then my cousin-in-law only spoke Spanish. Yes. So that the kids could eventually communicate with the grandparents who did not right. speak English on both sides. Right. And wow. They were confused for a bit, but now they uh, have the, the benefit of being able to not lose that generation. So right, that's right. really amazing. So. Yeah. I love that. I love that. Well, Kathy, how can people connect with you? Where are the places? And tell us a little bit about your book. I would yes. love everyone to get it.
1: <laughs> so The book is titled Raise Your Voice, Why We Stay Silent and How to Speak Up. And uh, it's about leadership and it's about um, engaging with your community and your family and your friends about the things that are most important to you mm-hmm. in a time where, you know, it's complicated out there right now here in the U.S. And, um, and the divisions on what you believe and your values really in a lot of spaces have split families. Yeah. And so this book uh, is about trying to figure out And be wise about the influence that you have and to use it well. So that can be ordered at your local bookstore and, you know, in that big internet conglomerate that is evil but also wonderful because you can get things really quickly. And isn't that what America is all about? You can get what you (laughs) want. When you want it. Um, So you can find that book there. And then folks can find me on uh, the internet. They can find me on my website sometimes at (laughs) kathykong.com. And I'm on Twitter and Instagram probably the most. And both places, it would be at Ms. Kathy Kong.
0: With K's. Yes. So we'll have all of those links on the show notes. And um, I really hope that our the listeners will connect with you and learn from you. I think you are such an important voice during these times. And I've really appreciated your courage to um, to raise your voice. And I think you've in the past taken a lot of heat for doing so, and yet you have a a, a moral compass that is spot on and I, I, I see that and um, and in knowing you in person understand that it's not that you're this crazy angry person it's just right. you're seeing what ought not be and yes. I really really respect and admire you and am thankful for you and just you. love your voice and continue to cheer you on um, in all these spaces so I'm so happy that Um, listeners got to meet you a little bit today and I'm excited for many to get their hands on your book and continue to learn from you so thank you for being a part of thank you thank you for joining us this week on someday is now if you've liked what you've heard please take a moment and subscribe to the show so each new episode automatically downloads to your device every week and thank you for sharing this podcast with your friends. We would love for you to leave a review so others can find out about the show. A special thank you to the brilliant team that makes Someday Is Now possible. The Someday Is Now logo is designed by Jocelyn Chung. The original music is by Joseph Patrick with Passion Net Productions. Show notes on the website are by Vicki Fan. The sound engineer is Aaron Kretzman. Director of Design and Website Designer is Kenny Wong. And the Executive Producer is Chantel Runnels. Have a great week and we look forward to you joining us again for another episode of Someday is Now.